Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown here in Tribeca, this is The Conversation. I am Tommy Weber. Welcome aboard. It is a frigid New York City late January night. Got some really, really bad weather on the way. And uh, hopefully spring training can't come soon enough. It's only about uh, another few weeks and uh, we'll be heading down to Florida or to Arizona or wherever you may be going. Uh, to start your professional season. Um, tonight, we got a really special broadcast. It's going to be terrific. Got a very, very special guest. One of the best guests we've ever had. I'm really looking forward to having him on. It's been a long time coming. But this week is also a special week for baseball because it's the Hall of Fame induction. And, um, of course, whenever the Hall of Fame voting ensues, there's a lot of controversy. Who should be in? Who should be out? Um, and I have um, my own perspective on this. I uh, recently uh, watched the MLB Network, and it seems to me like um, these voices uh, that are on the MLB Network think that the Hall of Fame should be a place of inclusion, where you find ways to put guys in. As And it's gotten as extreme as guys saying they would vote for 12 guys if they could in any one season. I find that to be almost... Uh, impossible to believe that anyone who's a right-thinking person and who watches the game thinks that there are 12 guys in any one season uh, who deserve admission into uh, the most hallowed place in baseball, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Um, I have a piece of advice for everybody. First of all, there's one criteria I think you need to use when you're contemplating inducting someone into the Hall of Fame. First thing is, is when you hear that guy's name, do you say he's great? If you don't, you cannot put him in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is about the most elite players who have ever played. It should be extremely difficult to get into the Hall of Fame. The standards should be very, very high so as to keep the quality of player in the Hall of Fame as high as possible. I also believe, as Ben Franklin said, that it's better for 100 guilty men to go free than for one wrongfully accused man to go to jail. And the Hall of Fame, I honestly believe you have to have the grown-up mentality of keeping someone who deserves out so that no one who doesn't deserve to be in is in. I'm sorry. That's the price you have to pay when you want to keep the standard as high as possible. You're probably going to have guys. I'd rather have some guys who should be in that aren't than have guys who don't deserve to be in or to so broaden the scope And the standard by which you judge guys such that it becomes a lot easier to get in. I'm not trying to besmirch anyone's induction. Anybody who's recently been inducted, these are all terrific players and I get it. But this is where the rubber meets the road and this is where you need to have a grown up in the room. You've got to stop genuflecting and seeing the game through your nine year old eyes and see them through your grown up eyes and understand that the Hall of Fame is about exclusion, not about inclusion. You could have had and many guys have. Great careers without being a great player. A lot of guys had great careers, but they weren't great players. And if they were great, they weren't quite great enough. Think about the players who were enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And lastly, if Babe Ruth, who not only was by far, by any way we have of measuring anything, the greatest player who has ever played in baseball by a long shot, 
and was also one of the greatest pitchers who has ever played. He was not inducted unanimously. That, to me, is part of the charm of the Hall of Fame. No one, no one should ever, forever be inducted with 100% of the vote. That is kind of a tip of the hat, if you will, to the guy who not only was the greatest player, one of the greatest pitchers, but who also single-handedly saved the game of baseball. So if I were a writer and if I were a voter, I would find ways to exclude, not to include, so as to keep the standard of the Hallowood Hall as high as possible. So in 2011, I was the uh, manager of Staten Island Tide and the ACBL and uh, got a call from uh, one of the coaches up in Buffalo. They had this kid they wanted to send to us. And I was like, oh, geez, I got to house a kid. Fortunately for me, um, I made the decision to do so because my guests showed up and uh, sort of changed the course of our franchise and um, really made an incredible impression on the ACBL, probably the best player the ACBL had seen in about 10 years. Um, we wound up winning that championship in 2011. Uh, he went on to be the only player in the history of the NCAA to win two gold gloves. Um, just so that you know, winning a gold glove is the most difficult thing to do because only nine guys get it. It's not like an All-American where you have first team, second team. Um, one of the few players who played for me in, in all the years that I'm coaching and managing who was great at something, he was a great outfielder. Not a good one, a great outfielder. Went on to play in a Minnesota Twin organization. And then, um, as fate would have it, I was up in the Cape and I said, uh, hey, listen, man, why don't you come up to the Cape? And he said, wow, that would be great. I never thought he would want to come up to the Cape. He lives in Houston. I said, well, okay. If you're crazy enough to come up, come on up. Uh, we got the band back together and Neil Barbella joined us and um, we lived together for two years in 2017. We summited by uh, doing something that's never been done in the Cape Cod League before, winning nine games in nine straight days uh, to win a championship. Um, I must say one of my absolute dearest friends and really one of the inspirations for the conversation after we won in 2017, got together and I said, you know, it seemed like one long conversation. Uh, and I realized I had started this conversation, I guess, with my father when I was like seven or eight years old and started watching baseball and have never stopped. So I want to welcome one of my absolute best friends on the planet and the newly minted hitting coach in the Houston Astro organization who is down in prospect camp right now, my pal, Jason Kanzler. How are you, pal? I'm great, Tommy. Thanks for having me. You hear the, hear the ovation? Do you hear that? That little sound effect? I <laughs> yeah, that's a huge crowd we have here today. We are worldwide, baby. We're bigger than U.S. Steel. Anyway, how's the weather? Uh, you know, it was beautiful today. 75, yep. sunny, probably similar to how it is in Tribeca. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Don't rub it in. But guess what? I'm in friggin' Tribeca, pal. All right. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm in I'm in Palm Beach. <laughs> uh, this might be a lot of laughs here for about forty minutes, but yeah. uh, everyone will have to endure it. So, um, let's start from now. Uh, how is Prospect Camp? I mean, you the Houston Astros that happened kind of suddenly. You know, we were we were all on board. You know, help helping you make the decision to to make the leap back into pro ball. I think it's a natural, as I've always told you, I think you're going to just skyrocket, you know, uh, 
up the ladder uh, of the organization. Um, what's it been like? What have your impressions been thus far? Uh, it's been it's been awesome. It's been really fun getting back to working with players one on one, and obviously these are some of their best best young guys. Um, so it's always really gratifying to like impart change and just do the whole the dance of coaching with you know with players. Um, and it's also been pretty eye opening. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that the Astros are ridiculously, I guess, progressive in mm-hmm. their methods. Mm-hmm. So to to see the things that they're doing, it, you know, it's kind of like shocking how advanced some of this stuff is. That's great. Well, listen, you're you're open mind. You're a smart guy, and and as you know, you know, we laugh and we make fun only because. Yeah, you're bored and you make fun of things. But um, the truth is, you've got to be open-minded, and there's, you know, you've got to be tolerant of new ideas. um, And and nobody's suggesting that you should be anything but. um, And that kind of brings me to my 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 first observation that I have that I really want to run by you. We've had this discussion, and it's no secret we talk almost every day and texting back and Mm -hmm. forth continuously. I don't see a lot of broken players out there. I just don't. And I believe, especially at the high level, that guys are really close to getting it. I, I just don't think guys need to be fixed as much. And and a lot of the modern day instruction, coaching, uh, mentoring implies, as I see it, that you are broken and that you can always be fixed irrespective of how good you are if you do it my way, if you use yeah. my contraption, if you use my technology. And I I just wonder, because everything has a price, every good thing has a price. I wonder what the price is that the player pays when the message, in my opinion, irrefutably, is you're broken. Yeah, that's a that's a great observation. Um I I really think that if we nitpick and we get caught in our own bubble, we can start to think that players are broken, especially when you get up to this level, I'm seeing, you know, the, the most minute details, they do matter, but um, keeping perspective of the entire game and all the levels, that kind of message and that perspective is not really applicable to younger guys. And also the message you're sending to your players, like you said, you have to, you have to walk a fine line. You don't want them ever thinking they're necessarily broken because you don't want to break their psyche. Uh, so from what I've gathered, the, the role of the, I, maybe I hesitate to use the word modern coach, but I'll just say it anyway, is really you have to be a master purveyor of this new information. You have to be able to use the soft skills of human interaction to convey these messages because you're right. You don't ever want your player to actually believe that they suck. That's not how you get the best, the most out of a player. Right. So give um, me an example. Now, this is, well, I'll, I'll give you examples from, not from pro ball, but from, I think the problem is really the younger level, like b- lower than pro ball, maybe college, but definitely youth baseball, where these kids are comparing themselves to professional baseball players and the, the manner in which the whole machine has been operating, it seems from my vantage point that kids now believe they just suck. Like they're, they don't stack up to these numbers. They suck. Right. It's very, I I don't know how much damage that does. Like 
over the, the long run? Like what are the second and third and nth order effects of that? Yeah, and we've we've talked about this a lot. Listen, look, look, and I'll say this: you know, amateur baseball is really a disaster. It really is, and 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 it's a disaster because, in some shape, manner, or form, everything is about selling hope. Hope, you know, all of yeah. this indoor work and cage work and blind work and underhanding balls and measuring is so that over the winter, and it, this happens in the world of this has been happening in the world of golf forever. You know, guys go into an indoor cage and they hit balls at, you know, ad infinitum and they come out thinking, I got this. And then they get on the first tee, they snap hook the first ball out of bounds, snap their driver over their knee, and they're in for another horrendous, frustrating summer because they really haven't learned how to play the game. And they've gotten a bunch of false positives by putting themselves in an environment where anybody could look good. And I've said this to you before, if you give me a week... I'm going to look like a really good hitter in the cage. At my age, I'm in good enough shape where if I got a few swings, I would look really good in the cage. And I could build for myself this false positive of my own ability. And I, I, I understand the necessity for it as you go up higher in levels because guys are so good, there's nothing else to work on but the minutia. But when a kid is young, what you really want to instill is a passion for the game more so than some understanding of how to do everything. I agree completely. Yep. So, um, it, and you, you, you said it best, like the, the differences between the players, even these players here, right? We have six hitters here. The differences with what we can see, they appear large, but overall they are so small, so small. And maybe that speaks to professional baseball on a whole, like, the things that separate major leaguers from not are, are not as big as you would think, but that doesn't mean they're not important because obviously you want major leaguers. So they're important, but they're small. Um, and you're right. Youth baseball, most of the things that they focus on are not important, but they're made to be way too big. Right. So it's, it's like, you know, the great masters in anything. They're all great. What separates them is some nuanced either skill, thing, message, tone, you know, brushstroke that they have that another guy may not have. And also, I I just wonder, I, I know that, you know, about 10 years ago, there was a lot of mental coaching. The psychology of the game was very important. And I think it's only mm-hmm. fair in the interest of, you know, full disclosure is that this tsunami of technology is very, very young, very young. This is only about a five-year phenomenon, and it's, it's taken on, it's just, you know, grown exponentially in importance in the game. This is not something that was going on 10 years ago, and 10 years ago, it, was, it almost seemed like we were starting to break through with trying to cull, if you will, the best psyche of a player because perhaps at that point the theory was that's what the separator was not necessarily the angle at which you launch the ball uh what your exit velocity might be or the technology talk to that a little bit agreed um so i think the game i believe the game is actually going back in that direction i mean i've i've read many articles and i i see firsthand that a lot of organizations are reinvesting in the entire concept of you know, mental skills coaches and sports psychologists um, 
So definitely, I, I would assume that they've realized, you know, this is an important aspect. Um, obviously, the difficulty is quantifying it. And when dollars and cents are on the line, sometimes there is a there is pressure to have quantifiable, you know, um, measurements. And, you know, psychology is very hard to quantify, especially with the ups and downs of a season and just how many people are in an organization. But unfortunately, Major League Baseball organizations have reinvested in psychology, but the people that probably need it most, which are the younger kids, that has not happened. So you're getting guys with – everyone's exposed to the technology now. Great. It's probably useful. Um, but you have to temper it, and you have to always temper the player's psyche, and that's being done only at the highest levels. So these young kids are – I think probably in a worse spot overall with their brains than without all of this stuff. All right, so that begs this question. Well, it begs a comment and a question. My comment is, I think the better you get, the more it's about your soul and head. Okay. So mm -hmm. if that's, if that's true, if we, if, if we agree ar arguendo that that is true, then those we are actually conspiring against those players who struggle with the part of the game that's going to get them over the hump the quickest by not concentrating more and getting them the help they need because at the end of the day it really doesn't matter what they do if their head their heart and their emotions aren't in check they're not gonna be able to handle it anyway does that make sense yeah absolutely um, so, so you your, could actually your brain, be your emotions drive everything. So you could actually be treating a symptom, but not the cause, right? A guy's not performing. Yeah, a guy's not performing. Yeah. So we're going to treat that symptom by saying, "Wait, okay." And I love the technology. I have to tell you, technology is great. I love my cell phone, the computer, and anything it can do for me. But if a guy's not performing and what I keep saying is the reason why you're not performing is because your launch angle isn't good or the reason why you're not performing is because you're not getting your foot down on time and the actual reason is something else, then really what I'm doing is diagnostically, I'm sort of, I'm wasting my time because he needs an MRI and I've prescribed an x-ray. Exactly. Which is, I'm, which is why I'm really um, optimistic about the way professional baseball is going now. Like, finally, the mental skills side is being, from what I've seen, reinvested in. So, excellent. I just wish parents and youth coaches and college coaches would understand it's not just a high-level thing. It's an everything thing. If you don't love the game, and for, for professionals, that might mean, like, not loving the game that day because you're having a bad day. But for kids, not loving the game is a compounding thing over years of, you know, the nonsense and travel ball and obsessed and crazy coaches. And eventually you just quit. And then you never have a career in college or in pro ball. But we, we've um, already, just, we've also talked about, sad. we've also talked about this as we've had extensive conversations about this because we both have somewhat similar ideas and perspectives on this. This is the well-intended bad idea of affluent ambulatory parents thinking that the measure of their parenting is how much time and energy they put into their kids' athletic lives. So the more I'm involved, uh, the better off my kid is. Well, you know, in fact, I have a feeling if you look at history, you know, kids who really excel 
don't have, you know, if you look at Latin America, those kids, their parents can't afford to spend yeah. 24 hours a day on which travel. You're listening to the conversation that's, that's with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. I want to run something by you that I saw today. I saw an article. um, And and I I, I want to talk about accountability uh, and arrogance so there's an article that says can chris davis be fixed will analytics fix chris davis the headline itself to me spoke to something that i think is addressable i i i i almost asked myself and i'm not stupid like i what is analytics because i know it's a measurement i know it's a way to measure things and 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 for someone to even ask that question is to think and to imply and to imply that analytics can cure things and my you know mm-hmm. the, the the pain in the ass in me said well when does analytics cure cancer because it seems like we are now we're amping this up this is starting to gain a certain momentum at which somebody might want to say wait a second here hold on a minute all right you know you know, this all this measurement is great, but you know, a guy still has to actually, you know, a guy who's in such a a funk like a guy like Chris Davis just may not be yeah. a good. He may be a terrible player, and there's the, the 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 implication that the implementation of anything can help everyone to me is dangerous. And also, when do you start to hold to account people who say this is the panacea? Because I'd better start seeing guys be much better hitters, much better pitchers, and much better fielders. Because you're telling me this is going to fix a lot of what's wrong with players. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the disconnect is probably that that article is assuming that the knowledge or that headline is assuming that the knowledge of the um, the data necessitates or leads into a fix, and that that's not true at all. The analytics is can only ever be used as a diagnostic, right? Like it can tell you maybe and give you insight into things that are not optimal or things that could help you, but you still have to, you know, actually make those changes. You can't just have a knowledge and then all of a sudden, you know, if I read a book about surgery, I'm not going to be a world-class surgeon. Actor. Right. That's right. not how it works. So, right. yeah, that, I guess I hope that's just a sensationalism. Thing, but because if that's a real opinion, then yeah, that is arrogant. Um, but you know what happens in baseball? It it's groupthink. It's not about. I, see, I don't worry about the big leaguers, and I don't worry about pro ball because you know you're going to have plenty of terrific players. And at the end of the day, you only need 700 guys. You're going to find 700 terrific players. You know, there's only 30 teams. What it does though is it makes its way into college. Then it gets into travel ball. 
Then it gets into Little League. And then you'll have eight-year-olds thinking that, you know, they can't, you know, their their crutch is going to be, well, I don't have the data, you know. And, and I just wonder, mm-hmm. again, what the price is that you pay for something that at some point somebody's going to have to hold to account. Like, okay, what's my net benefit for all of these resources being poured into something that somebody is telling me works whether you like it or not? Mm-hmm. You know, the San Francisco Giants I, won I, three out of five World Series. You know, that's kind of like a dynasty. And this was pre any of this stuff. They did pretty well. And they weren't. This isn't 20, 30, 40 years ago. This is eight, nine years ago. So I'm selfishly, I'm hoping that um, <laughs> selfishly, I'm hoping that you're wrong and that the Astros win the next seven out of 10 World Series because that would be awesome. Ah, but, but, but I don't understand what, but, what's. I don't know. I don't know why one would necessitate or not necessitate the other. I mean, the Astros won because of why teams win. They have four great players on their team, and they picked up Justin Verlander at the break. That's going to make you win. You're going to be a factor if you did nothing, nothing. If you shut the binder and shut off all the computers, and you let those four or five guys that they have play, and Justin Verlander go out to the mound, how bad can you do? Bad enough to win a World Series. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you're going to be, you're, you're starting off, and this is figure, obviously, you're starting off on third base because you have the best players. You have terrific players. So you're still going to still gonna have to stockpile great players. I, and again, in, in the, the ma- Major League Baseball can afford to do this because you start with such, you start with a diamond. The effect it has on youth baseball on travel baseball and all of that craziness is troubling to me because you, I see the results of it with these Twitter claims. I mean, you would think that these guys have 15 year old players that should be in double A the way they talk about them. When I know, mm-hmm. and you know, those kids can't have a catch for three minutes without a ball dropping or hitting the fence. Yeah. So my concern and is, I, it, just, it just goes back to the, the, those young kids. Like I don't want them to identify with, these these numbers because that it's just too early for them it's not man they're losing all the joy of free play and just play in general and nothing is fun right your guys your I guys mean, are trying to I'm make wrong. a living at this fun with it, but god right You're, it's a i mean that's that's a great word you just like god the way you said it is even better than what you said because it conveys the real feeling it's like geez you know, it's like being in school. Do you really want calculus on the baseball field? That to me is yeah. not going to engender a lot of joy. Anyway, I, I digress. Let's let's get off that topic. Well, no, you're right. Like these these kids are are just playing. They're not paid to play yet. You know, when you're paid to play, you're probably down for any competitive advantage. Anything. These kids are losing out. It's like that's not their profession. Right. Right. When you when you go on the PGA tour and you have your own plane and you have a staff. You should have a chef who cooks you all the food that is perfect for your performance. When you're going yep. out to play golf and you're 13 years old, you should have a hamburger, a hot dog, and a soda and go have fun and play. It's, it's just yep. you don't need that at that age. It doesn't, your, your level doesn't warrant that kind of attention to detail. Yeah, if you're a major mm-hmm. league player, you could afford to try to get one more foot out of every ball. Six more feet out of yeah. every ball. Another Absolutely. inch yeah. out of your fastball. It may be the difference between a $50 million contract and a $4 million contract. The stakes are really high. When you're younger, the stakes are only perceived to be high. They're not really high. Anyway, so what else you got, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I just, I want to add one thing is that, and I wish I had like, you know, papers to throw at you, but the, um, it's pretty well documented over a long time. Like I was kind of doing some Google searching. I think I saw at least a 50 year old paper that the benefits of just playing are, are not just for athleticism. Like you get cognitive, real cognitive benefits from unstructured free play. And so the compounding effects of not playing in a free environment, I can't, I, I don't know what they are, but I, I can't imagine they're not significant. Well, that, well, every, every so statistic would tell you, and off the field. every statistic would tell you, this is the most anxious, depressed, medicated generation in the history of mankind, you know, parents and kids. Well, gee, I wonder why, <laughs> because structure rules, fear, you know, not letting kids out of the, out of your sight, being afraid, you know, the playgrounds are empty. The ball fields are empty. Why? Nobody plays. Kids, you're right. Kids don't play anymore. They really don't. They have play dates. They have arranged play, which must be so stimulating and a lot of fun. Um, but they don't have any free play where they're free to do what they want to do, how they want to do it. And we talk a lot, you know, we lived together for two years in, in, in the Cape. And a lot of what we did uh, was show up at the ballpark with elite players, some of the best players in the world at that level, with nothing on our mind. We very rarely went to that field for early work knowing what we were going to do. Very rarely. For me, that was, it was just one of the most valuable, I think it was valuable for everyone. It was, um, maybe it was kind of cathartic. Would you agree? Like it just felt, it felt so human and, intimate and um organic and chaotic sometimes everything about it was so freeing that somehow this beautiful thing came out of it totally by accident i don't know i don't know how to explain it do you, you understand what i'm saying yeah i thought it was like a baseball jam session where you get there and yeah it was like it's like okay awesome start playing freaking right. craziness and i i think the critical ingredient in that is self-determination i i think i i well i know that the the college environment is so infected with you know control freak craziness i mean signs and and what and you know that that's a big complaint with uh throughout pro ball now is that they're getting these college kids and they don't yeah they, they've got all these like awesome skill sets and tools and they're physically ridiculous but they don't know how to play the game i've been saying you that think things. by that level that age they could, they should be able to play the game, like know where things are supposed to go and what's happening and when to run and when not to run and how to navigate their own, you know, how to call their own game, how to navigate pressure. They don't know any of that. And yeah. it's a complaint now. Well, you've heard me say this a million times. I'm waiting for a guy to get to first base and to go to third via the pitcher's mound one day because they just <laughs> don't know. They don't. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We did this yeah. to them. And this is what overprotectiveness does. It also sends the message that you're not good and you can't do anything unless I tell you, which is why, you know, you very rarely see an infielder turn around and move an outfielder. You very rarely see there's no more chatter because there's no more talk on a field because you've created a rule that says if you say anything bad, you know, if you say bad words, Mr. 20 year old adult, uh, 
you're mm-hmm. going to be ejected from the game. And what does that do? Well, <laughs> kids aren't stupid. They just shut up and don't say anything. And they wait for you yeah. to tell them what to do and where to do, which is why in the first couple of times when we get those guys, we had those guys out in the Cape and we said to them, well, you're kind of on your own. They looked at us like, are you kidding me? Like they were a ship without a sail. <laughs> but then after about a week, they love it because they're in control of their own destiny. And that's really what everybody wants. They want to be able to have a vested interest in what they do. And in college, there mm-hmm. is none of that. None. And you want an empowered player. Exactly. You want a self-confident, self-reliant, empowered person great, on your field. Great word to use, empowered. You want a guys who don't need you. They don't need you. Exactly. They don't. Because here's the deal. There's not a lot you can do. Newsflash. There just isn't. You can't run out and catch the ball, throw it, hit it. It's over. You can't do that. So the best you could do is make out the lineup card, sit back, and hope that when the ball gets hit to your shortstop, he picks it up and throws it to first and not to right field. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I know that's an oversimplification, especially in a world where nothing seems to be simple anymore, where everything involves some kind of PowerPoint presentation. You know, inhaling and exhaling. Oh, you're really not inhaling right. You see, you're taking in, you're not taking in enough oxygen. You got. I mean, that's really <laughs> what we're getting to at the college level, and it must be. You know, unless you go to the college world series, it's got to be a real drag after a while. My God, get out of my face. Enough. I, I get it. Okay. I guess that was one of the positives of uh, Buffalo, the now defunct program, is that we, it was kind of a little lawless. We were just able to play. That was kind of fun. Yeah, well, you had that crew, too. And it's freezing up there. Yeah, God, we did uh, have a, a crew, yeah. Yeah, you had a certain crew that that, that was more... Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, most of... A lot of that like control stuff begins with in the pitching department, you know, with these pitching coaches. And, and just mm-hmm. so that these guys know... I know who you are, okay? And I could describe you. Yeah. You are the guy, Mr. Pitching Coach in college. You have a beard. You have a pair of sunglasses. You have two pens. <laughs> one's on your ear and one is on your uniform shirt because you need two pens in case one runs out of ink. You've got a wristwatch on because it's so important to know the time of day during a game, obviously. And you have copious <laughs> charts. So I'm going to give you the same advice I give a guy if I go to a Broadway play and he stands up and he heckles. Sit down, shut up, and enjoy the show. And to all the pitchers out Mm -hmm. there that just heard that, you're welcome. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So Astros, where are you going to be? Fayetteville, North Carolina. Nice. Nice. It is um, high A. High A, yeah. It's, That's great. It's nicely known as Vietnam. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I actually i I played in Fayetteville when I was um, playing in the Coastal Plains League, which for your listeners is summer collegiate baseball league. Uh, we would there was a team, or there still is a franchise in Fayetteville, so I know why they call it Vietnam. There's a military base right there. You get a lot of rowdy young men drinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can get it can get kind of crazy. Wow! At wow. those games, tell me, give me a brief synopsis of your day in uh, in Florida this week. Okay, we um, I wake up. We, I go to the facility. I like to work out beforehand. Um, yeah. By the way, I, I asked a bunch of the guys. I asked. I asked a bunch of the guys some questions, and the first question was, "When are you going to do something about getting into some kind of shape? Because really, you should be ashamed of yourself." 
Okay. So. <laughs> All right, but we'll that will address that at some other point in time. Hey, go ahead. Okay. Um, we have a, I guess, like a staff meeting, and then we break off into various. The players go into various uh, pl- uh, places that they're supposed to be. Um, hitters will come with the hitting coaches. There's three of us down here right now, and we will have a very intimate, maybe like hour with the hitting with the hitters, where we get to do one on one or two on one type of work and try to impart some some routines and some things they can bring back. Give me something specific. What have you done? What have you done? What's that? Give me something. Have you done stuff? Like, have you taken stuff from the Cape and from your, what have you taken from the Cape and your other experience coaching and brought directly to the Astros? Oof. Uh, Hmm. I think maybe where I, the things I brought from the Cape would be, I, I actually don't say a lot. Like I like to, I want to shut up Mm -hmm. because I don't want to coach a kid out of things I want happening. If that makes sense. I don't want to say so much that the whole session becomes a wash because I've, I've cluttered the, the player's brain. Mm -hmm. So I try to be, I try to speak as little as possible. That's great. I love that. That's very Zen. So you don't want to be talking. You don't want a player to be focused on what you're saying when he could be discovering the secret on his own. I want the minimum effective dose of words. And if that means zero words, then I am going to take that route. I want, if he can discover it by just me putting him in a dr- like a specific drill that will achieve the goal, then that's what I want. I don't want to say a word because his self-discovery is worth infinitely more than me giving him um, a very, you know, surface level piece to that. Give a guy a fish, teach a man to fish. So for a day. Big difference. Yeah, exactly. Big difference. That's great. Huge That's great. difference. It's Give, probably all the difference. It is. You know why? It's all about ownership. It always is. It's about ownership because ownership makes your self-esteem skyrocket. And there's no way to measure the positive impact of high self-esteem. There just isn't. You can measure the pot, the impact of low self-esteem uh, mm-hmm. because its depths are immeasurable. Uh, but high self-esteem, man, oh, man, a guy who really has got it and walks around like he does and gets in that batter's box, man, that could have a real impact on his performance. I don't care. In, yeah. any, in anything that you do, in anything that you do. So, so okay. I think it shows up in the, when the lights are the brightest. Absolutely. Like things really matter, you need the players that are that much more self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-confident. Right. right. It's not cocky either. It's self-aware. It's, no. it's, it's, it's getting it, getting it and taking it all in. So, so you spend an hour and then what? Spend an hour. The, um, and then honestly, we, we go back as hitting coaches and we kind of review what we did. Um, did it work? Did it not? What do you think we could do better? Um, let's look at some stuff. Like let's look at some data that we took. Let's, let's plan for tomorrow. A lot of it is actually um, the the two new coaches, myself and the double A hitting coach, is us being taught all of the systems that the Astros have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll get some lunch, or I'll lift and then get lunch. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the day is done around maybe one, but anywhere from one to three. Great, great. And when when does this? Are you there just for the week? When do you come back? Yeah, I fly back tomorrow, okay. and then I go back for spring training. I maybe late February or beginning of March. Um, how's the facility? Beautiful. Wow. 
I, it's a, it's a lot nicer. And I don't mean this with any disrespect to the twins, but it is so much better than the twins facility. Wow. It's like night and day. I was so shocked when I got there. Really? Meaning the newness of it, the, the facilities Mm. itself, the, the functionality, everything like it's, it's laid out to be efficient. It is beautiful. It's clean. Um, they have a lot of things that the twins didn't have. Um, it's just really nice. That's great. That's great. Um, talk to me about how you made the transition from player to coach, because one of the things when I, you know, by the way, just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I like, uh, Jason Kanzler so much. I married him. Um, yep. (laughs) Uh, it was Central Park. Was it two years ago? Yeah, two, three years ago. Such a badass day. So badass. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But it was epically cold. And yes. Jason and his now wife, who was his girlfriend in 2011 when he played for us on Staten Island, uh, got married. Uh, beautiful, beautiful setting in Central Park. It was a gorgeous, sunny day, but it was like eight degrees and uh, mm-hmm. I presided over the wedding because I am an or, or oh my god I can't even say it. I'm an ordained minister <laughs> uh, and just in case everybody out, I do it all bar mitzvahs brises you bet you whatever however you whatever you want me to do, funerals christenings communions divorces divorces Divorce yeah yeah whatever you're doing I, I I'll do it um, but exorcisms I have to get paid up front because that could go south in a hurry. Uh, <laughs> What, what, because when I, when I broached, you know, after you finished playing and I broached the coaching thing, I didn't really know what the, I knew it was perfect. And if, and if you remember, I never said it was perfect, but I just knew Mm -hmm. that you would be perfect in the Cape. Perfect. And it took you about 30 seconds once you got there to, to show that to everybody. How did you make the seamless transition? From player to coach, which someone told me a long time ago. I'll never forget this. Tommy, you can't start coaching and managing until you finish playing. And I said, but I finished playing. He said, no, 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 no. Until you finish in your head playing. And you run across a lot of guys, especially in pro ball. And I think it holds them back a lot who have never finished playing. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I, hmm. I think when I was done playing, I, I felt pretty much like that was it. I don't think I left the game with a, a positive taste in my mouth about the whole entire game. I just, I almost didn't like it. I, for like the last three months of when I was playing, I just, it was not fun. And I was very over just how the whole thing was affecting my, my emotions and my psyche and just, how I was as a person. And then when I was out, um, it was maybe more easy or easier for me than other people to kind of be out. Once I was out, it was, you know, I I thought about playing independent ball and then I never really even gave it serious consideration though. Like a couple of easy conversations with my wife. And it was like, you know what, this is, it's just not, not, it's not it. Um, I remember that conversation. I I remember that conversation too. I remember that conversation. You do? I remember you saying to me, you know, I've got some, I could play, I could play independent ball, but you know, do I really want to do that? And I, 
I, I remember just listening and knowing that there was no talk, even if I was, and I'm not, I'm not a big, I think once it's over, it's over uh, and you should move on. But even if I wasn't, there was no way that I was going to convince you that you should do anything other than what you had already decided you wanted to do. It was clear and evident uh, that you were yeah. done with it, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. A really good yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I had, a, I, I definitely had like offers to play independent ball and I had offers to go do tryouts um, with affiliated teams. And I, you know, I, I kind of balked at all of them. And I, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I almost like made excuses not to do it. Like I was, I was done in my brain. I think I probably just needed to talk it through with certain people that I trust, like you and my wife to kind of like actually consciously understand like, yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't want to be a, I don't want to play this game anymore, but I felt a very strong pull once you offered that Cape thing. Like, wow, wait a minute. I can maybe help kids that are so close to their dreams in ways that I wish coaches had helped me. And in ways that, for example, you helped me. Like I, I can be a very positive um, person in this player's life. And that, that was appealing to me. Yeah, very I, much so. I, I remember you were, you were unequivocal about coming out and you never wavered. I was really, that was very impressive. And of course, uh, you made your mark on so, on so you many guys. I said yes. Yep, yep. Um, okay, lastly, we're going to let you go soon. Play very quick, quick pitch. You ready? Okay. All right. Last show you binge watched. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is embarrassing. It's this show called The Magicians. It is, um, it's like a, it's on it's so embarrassing it's like a soap opera but about like 20 somethings that are magical it's so embarrassing oh okay you i don't need, know why i watch it okay. it's like not even good i just am watching it okay you need you need help okay uh <laughs> i do i Fa- suggest no one watch this favorite show. food oh really embarrassing cinnabon cinnabon is my favorite food that is really good that is really what a guilty pleasure good. um very guilty Three guests for dinner, you weren't related, that are dead. Abraham Lincoln, number one. I just love his, uh, I love his quote, the quickest way to get rid of an enemy is to make them your friend. I think that's genius. That's so genius. Um, and he was president during like a, a, an incredibly tumultuous time yes, he was. in the history of our country. And he navigated it like the history books speak so fondly of him. And I, I don't understand how a person can, can kind of pull a country together like that. Yep. and still have everyone speak so well of him. It seems like almost an impossible mountain to climb. And yet he did it. So I'd love to pick his brain. I feel like he would be an exceptional leader to learn from. That's one. Uh, who else? Move. Maybe, uh, I don't know. This is rapid fire. Niccolo Machiavelli. That just Oof. seems kind of psychotic. And we had a Machiavellian uh, reference not, not long ago that I gave you. Really? Yeah. yeah. Remember Which I said, one? I don't know. I said that, but that was so, that's so Machiavellian. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Who else? Now I'm just going, I guess Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, obviously you got to come back on because this, we just scratched the surface and so many people want to hear when, when I told people you were coming on, everybody was thrilled. Um, and, we and need- I, I totally screwed up for your listeners. I, 
<laughs> I was 15 minutes late. Don't worry about podcast. it. It's, it's all good. So, it's all good. Um, what a good first impression. One of the most important men in my life. I just <laughs> fucking showed up late. <laughs> um, you've always come through. Don't worry about it. Um, can't tell you how much, uh, how excited I am for you. Um, this season's going to be great. Um, you know, you're just going to, I, I told you this a million times, you're, 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 you're going to skyrocket through the organization. I just know it. I know it. Uh, I was right about you as a player. I was right about you in the Cape and I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to be three for three with you. So, uh, I, I don't have to tell you, I got your back, whatever you need. I'm always yeah. here for you. So, um, I know you do. Uh, we will, uh, no, I love you. I love I, and I love you too. You are the, you, abs- you are the absolute best. Jason Kanzler. I'll talk to you. Actually, I'll talk to you in the morning. I'll talk to you in the afternoon. Call me after you're done or before you get on a plane or whatever. Um, you got it. We are going to say so long to Superman, Jason Kanzler, one of the <laughs> absolute best. Uh, and we are going to get taken out by the great Freddie Mercury, Live Aid, the greatest 20 minutes of live rock and roll ever. I want to thank everybody. Great show. Jason Kanzler, the absolute best in the business. We will see you next time. This is Tommy Weber saying, Mom and Dad, I love you. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.